Morning, everyone. Oh, it's a bit echoey, huh? Um, I didn't expect to feel guilty about my uh, lack of fitness this morning. You know, I, I expect it at home. You know, I don't expect it at church, but here we are. <laughs> uh, very good. Uh, my name is Young, as mentioned, uh, pastor here at New Life. And if I haven't gotten to meet you yet, hopefully I will get to meet you uh, sometime during the service or after service. Um, man, I was just, you know, worshiping through that song uh, in the very beginning. If you weren't here in the beginning, we sang Beautiful Savior. And I was just thinking, I remember when that was like a new song. And I looked at the copyright date and it says 2006. And, you know, it's like 16 years ago. Like, I was thinking, oh, that's, I was, you know, 20 then. So it's uh, quite a long time ago, but not that long ago at the same time. Anyway, um, how about we pray together? We'll get started with our sermon. Let me pray for us. Father, when we join in with uh, the songs and we say that we will love you forever, help us to consider the weight of those words and recognize, Lord, that that means throughout all trials, throughout all temptations, throughout all hardships, whatever comes our way, Lord, we trust in you and we love you forever. We wanna not only sing those words with the lyrics, with the songs, with the music, but we wanna sing it with all of our hearts. Help us to believe it and help us to live it out when we sing these words. We want for our faith to match those words we want for the way that we live to match our faith, and we want for you to give it to us, God, because we can't muster it up on our own. And so we ask you this morning that you would help us to grow in faith, that you would help us to trust in you, that we can mean those words, that we will love you forever. Father, as we consider uh, this area of church planting, uh, would you help us to open up our hearts and open up our ears that we might be able to hear what it is that you're doing in our midst and that we might be able to receive it well, that we might carry it out in this world, God. We wanna love you and we wanna trust you. We wanna trust your timing and recognize that you are wise and that you're worthy of trust. And so we do turn to you, God. Would you speak to us in a way that we can understand and would you speak with all clarity? Guide us, Lord, by your wisdom. Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, as I mentioned, uh, we are finishing off our series, Kairos. So this is the last week of Kairos, where we examined God's timing and applied it to our focus areas uh, when it comes to our vision of discipleship, families, and finally, church planting, which is where we're at today. And we're finishing with a chapter from the middle of the book of Jonah. If you haven't read it before, Jonah is a great short book. Uh, it's only four chapters. Very, very short, you can literally read it in one sitting, no matter how slowly you read. Um, very easy to get through, and I highly recommend uh, reading it through in your own time. And from this book, you know, the main message that kind of comes out to us is that we can really see how the Lord's compassion extends even beyond his people. His compassion extends beyond his people. A bit of context for the book of Jonah, since we you know, haven't done a very big uh, deep dive into Jonah, but around the time of Jonah, Assyria, which is where Nineveh is located, was in decline. Okay, so it wasn't as powerful of a uh, 
political power. It wasn't as powerful in its military might anymore. But they were still quite well known for their historic brutality, you know, for their brutality in the way that they functioned, the way that they treated their prisoners of war. Uh, as an example, this is a little bit dark. Um, if you have any kids here, maybe just block their ears. Uh, but one of their kings, uh, Ashurbanipal, uh, he tore the lips and the hands off his victims, even viciously attacking and ripping apart pregnant women. And uh, you just read that and you're, ooh, you know. It's the heart of darkness is where Jonah is being sent by the Lord, where he's tasked to go and preach this message of destruction. Up to this point in the text, Jonah has tried to avoid this mission. You know, you see it through the book of Jonah. It's very famous, right? Like we envision this big animal, this big fish uh, swallowing up Jonah. But here he finally ends up in Nineveh, in the city itself, and it's miraculous. The whole nation repents. Imagine that. Let's see how it takes place. So the first two verses there, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. And the words of this opening line of chapter 3 will seem uh, very familiar to you if you read through the book of Jonah in one sitting. And if you read Jonah chapter 1, it starts in a very similar way. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. So since the first chapter, the prophet Jonah has taken quite a detour, and yet God's will has remained ever steadfast. It's continued on. God's love is for the city, for the people of the city, and Jonah is called to be the one who preaches it. Now we've been talking about church planting as one of our focus areas, and I wanna ask, what is your attitude towards church planting? What's the immediate reaction in your guts when we bring it up, when we say church planting, when you imagine it, like, what is that feeling that you get inside? Does it feel too difficult? Do you just wanna keep all of your family and friends in this one location, the same place as you, not wanting anything to change? You wanna continue on in your friendships. Like, you believe in the gospel mission, but you kinda hope it happens to a different church. Like, would rather have it happen without too much change, too much discomfort to you here at New Life. Is that the kind of reaction that you have? A vision for the city, it must give us a genuine love for the place that we're called to reach with the gospel. Rather than hostility or indifference or a lack of compassion. Just as in the time of Jonah, God's love is for our city, for the people of our city, and we're called to be the ones who preach the good news of grace to our city. But what about Jonah's vision for this city? Notice how Jonah preaches. Now Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk, pretty big city. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. Then the people of Nineveh believe God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. So that highlighted section there is his, is his message. In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. In our English translation, Jonah's sermon is very short. We see that. In the Hebrew, it's even shorter. It's five short words. 
Imagine that. Five words for a sermon. I mean, don't, you know, don't desire too much here because it's not gonna happen, right? It's too short even for me. If what's recorded here is the entirety of Jonah's message to the people of Nineveh, look at what's missing. There's no reason for the destruction even given. No one knows why, why are we getting destroyed? The people have no idea who it's even coming from. They just know that destruction's coming, but who is gonna destroy? There's not even a call to repentance at the end of it all, and certainly no good news that comes with it. Jonah was willing to go as far as the bare minimum when it came to what he was told to do. He had no vision for the city beyond this, and a lack of vision for the city reveals a lack of love for the city. Throughout the Old Testament, we see that Israel was intended by God to be a light upon the nations. We've seen this and we've talked about this extensively when we've looked at uh, Abram and his call. We've also, we also see it again in the book of Isaiah in chapter 49. I'll read that to you. It is not enough for you to be my servant, raising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected ones of Israel. I will also make you a light for the nations to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. In the New Testament, we know that as Christ's followers, our responsibility is to be ambassadors to this world, to be carriers and messengers of this good news that we talk about every week. The Great Commission in Matthew 28 tells us to go and make disciples of all nations, to baptize, to disciple, to teach them the way of Christ. Do you have love for Sydney? Do you have a vision for our city of Sydney. What the book of Jonah reveals most beyond these things is God's love, his concern for those who are seemingly outside of his will and plan. If his desire is to destroy this entire city and all of its people, all of its animals, everything, and certainly we must think, this city doesn't even exist in God's will then. What's the point of this city? And yet his care is for this city. To everyone else, to his disciples especially, it might seem as though in the great plan of reconciliation, outsiders have no place. Antagonists to our faith have no place. But God's love is deeper. It's greater than even our ability to preach the good news. The fact that Jonah could say in 40 days Nineveh will be demolished and the people turn in repentance and believe God, who wasn't even mentioned. Where does that fit in our paradigms when it comes to preaching? Where does that fit? God's love goes beyond our ability or our inability. His love goes deeper than our care or our lack of care. And God sees in our city something more than what our limited vision might be. Now what takes place in Nineveh is nothing short of miraculous, so please don't take that away from what's happening here. It is miraculous. But it's quite likely that this wasn't a nationwide salvation that we're imagining when we read this. We're not witnessing that here. Because there's an initial belief in God's message to them of turning in order to avoid destruction. And we see that, we see that God relents. But there's a, a fast, 
You know, it's quite extreme. They say, don't even drink water. I can't even imagine that. There's an outward display of repentance, of turning away from wrongdoing. Why? That God might relent from his plan to destroy them. But what's the lasting fruit of all this? What actually lasts beyond what we read on the pages here? Some of them were probably genuinely converted. You know, we can give the benefit of the doubt and look at it as graciously as possible and say some of them were probably genuinely converted. But quite a large portion must have remained in their old beliefs, continuing on with their pagan worship of other gods, returning back to old ways, old brutal ways. We still have records of their kings that outline these things. And we see no lasting fruits for the nation of Assyria. God's love is for them, but their hearts are for avoiding immediate destruction, not for him. No one remains to disciple them, to teach them to now follow the ways of God if they're going to avoid destruction. And when the people of Nineveh avoid destruction, they do indeed avoid destruction at that time due to God's mercy. Perhaps they think to themselves, well, maybe it wasn't going to happen anyway. Maybe it's all coincidence. Maybe that crazy guy swallowed by a fish didn't know what he was talking about. You yourselves, if you're Christ followers, know people that have gone out from among you. Family, friends, whoever it might be, you know people that have gone out from among you, and you know as well as I do that evangelistic effort alone is not enough. We must disciple those that we preach the good news of the gospel to. And if we're to do this, if we're to do this for our city, we need more churches in their local areas as well. Now, fast forward quite some time after Jonah, we see someone who very willingly, in you know, contrast to Jonah, traveled to many different places. The Apostle Paul he travels to Athens in Acts chapter 17. Athens is where intellectualism rules the world. Then in the next chapter in Acts 18, he travels onwards to Corinth where commerce is king. In the following chapter after that, in Acts 19, Paul enters Ephesus. It's the religious center. It's the place where all the cults meet and you know, talk about religion and their various religions. And by the end of the book of Acts, he ends up in Rome the center, the heartbeat of military and political power. And so as Paul preaches in these various cities, Christians change the course of history by the grace of God. As people come to know who God is, Christians change the course of history and we live in that culture today. They've influenced the cultural elites along with identifying with and caring for the poor and the downtrodden. And this lasts to this very day. Cities at that time were the most strategic place for the gospel to go out, for evangelism to happen. As roads led from the cities to the cities and to the rural areas around it as well. And so the gospel spreads along those pathways back to those rural areas. And because cities were multi-ethnic as well, as people were converted to Christianity, they took the gospel back to their motherlands. And because cities were the centers for learning, for law, for government, it affects culture and ethics as well. Changes the course of history. 
in the modern day, things are similar but a little bit different. Globalization has taken us to this place where all of this is possible from within the bounds of our own city. We don't have to go far. The suburbs that we live in are now multi-ethnic. We are multi-ethnic. We're not originally from Australia. We have coworkers, family, and friends who travel around the world. We have those who work in areas that wield a lot of influence in learning, in law, and government. We've got a lot of teachers, we've got a lot of lawyers. We don't have a lot of government workers, but we have some. New life itself may not feel like all of these things at once. When you examine new life itself, it might not feel like that, especially the multi-ethnic part. But we're certainly capable in God's timing of planting churches that embody these different characteristics, whether or not it's all of these things or whether it might be specific ones, just as we also embody these things. Jonah 3.10 reads, God saw their actions that they had turned away, that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with, and he did not do it. God's compassionate heart is always there. It doesn't change. He's always open. He's always sensitive to those who are crying out for mercy. And you see it here in this verse. Chapter 3, verse 10. Mark that in your Bibles. These aren't good people. These aren't all people that will remain changed. God knows this. He knows that there might not be a forever repentance here. And yet he relents. And this verse preaches powerfully to our hearts as well, to our own twisted hearts, reminding us that God's incredible mercy doesn't have limits. His heart is always for redemption, for salvation, for reconciliation, and not for the destruction of sinners. The story that unfolds in Jonah chapter three with Nineveh being spared, it parallels Jonah's own journey as well. If you read back from the beginning, it almost feels like English class, right? Like Jonah, this is his experience. What Nineveh goes through is his experience. In his disobedience, he also received God's punishment. He was to be destroyed. I can't think of many things worse than this, by being swallowed by a great fish and being digested alive in deep water. You know, I don't know if you have the last phobia and you're like underwater. And in his repentance, though, he receives God's miraculous intervention and salvation, despite the evidence that we see of his unchanged heart later. We don't have to go far to see this. And this is true of all believers' hearts, all of our hearts, all of us that are sitting here. This is our story. Because of sin, all of us stand alongside Jonah and the Ninevites in condemnation as well. And yet, as Jesus Christ intervenes, we find that there's hope, that there's salvation. What we desire is that this is a lasting change with true transformation. Absolutely for us. Well, we don't want to end up in the place that the Ninevites end up. Unlike what we see for the Assyrians, we want there to be lasting change. For that to happen, the future generations have to be discipled in truth as well. We've talked about this, right? 
You know, families must be changed. Discipleship must happen. We need these things to happen in our church. And we're talking about Kairos, so what about the timing behind church planting? Only God knows. I don't know what's going to happen. Only God knows. And it's in his timing, and all I know is I have no desire to rush us. I have no desire to slow us down either. We don't want to rush ahead of what God's plan is, and you know, we plant a church, and there's only one person there. You know, we don't want to do that. But I know when our time of preparation is, and it's now. We must prepare now, lest we end up like Jonah. If you look at Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, we see Jonah's reaction. Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. Is this a, is this a normal reaction for someone? when you see that your message was received powerfully, it worked, God was right, God's character shown. When we study Jonah's reaction to God's mercy in the context of all that has happened throughout the book of Jonah and all we know about the history of the Assyrians and their brutality, then perhaps we can begin to understand why Jonah reacts in this way. Jonah's fury, his inability to reconcile God's grace with his actions. Jonah hated what God did. Perhaps he placed limits on God's plan of redemption, his grace. Maybe his heart wasn't ready. Maybe he lacked a vision for the city. And for us, so many of us modern believers, we miss the joy of joining in with what God has done, what God is doing in this world because of a lack of vision and because of selfishness. So how do we prepare? How can we cultivate love for our city? It's not a matter of, I love the way that Sydney looks, especially these days, it's raining so much. How can we get ready to church plant that there will be more workers for the harvest and more pathways for people to know the love of God? We may not be ready tomorrow, but when that day comes, when the arrow is drawn back in the bow, we have to be ready to fire. We must have a love and a vision for our city. And we get there through prayer. We can't cultivate it on our own. We need God to change our hearts. So I invite you to pray today, to seek God's heart for this city. Ask him to help you to grow in your love for our city. He will not say no. Ask him to expand your vision for our city. He won't say no to that either. Ask him to help you to embrace church planting and his timing for all, when all this happens. We'll get there when we get there. Church planting, but in the meantime, we can serve the common good of the people of our city. We can bring in the outsiders and we can love them. And we can serve sacrificially as we grow in our love for the people that we bring the gospel of grace to. Why don't we spend some time praying together? I'll give you a moment to pray on your own before I close us in prayer. Do ask him for these things to help you to grow in your love for our city, to expand your vision for Sydney, and ask him to help you to embrace church planting and his timing for when this happens. And then I'll pray for us.
Father, so many of us have different thoughts about our city. Perhaps some of us see this city as a city that we want to leave one day. Perhaps some of us see this city as just a city that we live in. And then perhaps some of us do have a genuine love for this city. Wherever each of us stands, Lord, we ask you in unison, we ask you together as new life, give us your love for this city. Help us, Lord, to see Sydney the way that you see it. Help us, Lord, to see each individual person that we come across with your eyes. Eyes that are compassionate, eyes that care, and eyes that go beyond just man's vision of the outer appearance. But may we look to the heart, and may we see, Lord, the way that you care for these people, for your great people here, God, for your great city. We desire this city's redemption as well. We desire for their individuals to come to a saving knowledge of who you are, whether that be people that are close to us, our family, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, whether that be people that are in our outer circles, the cafe workers that we come across, the drivers, the different people that we see on trains, or complete strangers that we might never meet. We want a desire to see them coming to know who you are and to see the city transformed in your name. We ask, Lord, that you would give us an expanded vision for your city. We don't want to see Sydney as just Sydney or whatever it might be, but we want to see this as a place where the new heavens and the new earth will take place. We want to see this as a place of redemption. We want to see this as our home, where we invite people in and where we see lives transformed. Let new life embrace that. Let our hearts individually embrace church planting. Let it be our vision for the future that we might see your people discipled, your people transformed, your people's families and generations transformed, that the culture of the city itself might change just as we see the culture of new life changing. Would you transform us from the inside out, Lord? We know, Lord, that we've been crucified with Christ and we no longer live, but Christ now lives in us. And we wanna live in a cruciform, in a cross-shaped way we want our lives to be shaped around the cross that we might love one another self-sacrificially, that we might serve the common good of the city, even if it's to our own personal expense, to our personal detriment. We have no qualms about laying our lives down that your people might be transformed. So change our hearts today, God. Help us to love you, help us to serve you, and help us to seek you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.